Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, God's Providence, with a message entitled, God Rules Over Good and Evil. So let's turn in our Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 38, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Are you bothered by evil? Well, you should be. Here's a list of some of the things in this world that plague my spirit. I'm bothered by the persecution of Christians and of the rising tide of intolerance of Christians in various parts of the world. I am bothered by resistance to the truth of Jesus. I'm also deeply disturbed by the practice of aborting unborn children. I find the present refugee crisis all over the world particularly disturbing. Whether in Syria or in Latin America or in other parts of the world, men and women are being uprooted from their homes and forced to flee, and those have been the fortunate ones. Many others have been killed and children have been murdered and entire villages have been cleansed. Does that bother you? It should because Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And in my estimation, the world is full of unrighteousness. And of course, those are the big things. And every day, what we call the little things, well, they wreck the lives of countless men and women. One human being takes advantage of another, either by slander or by the abuse of power or the unrighteousness of taking sexual advantage of another or through unjust lawsuits or unjustly firing someone or destroying the economic life of someone. I guess I'm trying to say that evil, the evil that comes from the fall of Adam is so pervasive, if we allowed ourselves to think of the suffering that rises from this earth, we'd all be disturbed. Sometimes in my frustration with evil, I have, I fear, been unrighteous in my prayer life. Why, oh God, can you allow such evil to continue? Is it that you just don't care? I know you have wider purposes, but do you look upon the suffering of so many, and even though you could act in a second, you passively watch as we die in our misery? Well, listen, I've heard all the pat answers. God allows people to act on their free will, we say, but what free will did the unborn child have who was deprived of the most precious of all gifts, life? and the free will of the refugee or the orphan or the one who lives in crushing and unremitting poverty. I find Pat answers so tragically naive, so unrealistic, so leading to callous disregard. Oh, God of the souls of men, how can this be? I'm reminded sometimes in my prayer life of Habakkuk 1 verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Have you prayed that way? See, I'll bet you have. We've embarked on a three-week series on the providence of God, trying to mine as much scripture as we can for what it teaches us on this subject. And in week one, I've made the point that God rules over everything. He's the author of everything. And as the Bible tells us, moment by moment, the created universe continues to exist only because he wills that it should do so. We found this true in the inanimate world and also in the world of all living things. We found that God is so immediately involved in all things that it is he, according to Job 39, verse 17, who commands and the ostrich is made to have no share in wisdom. God makes all things to serve his purposes, both the wise things and the foolish things. But while this is true in the way in which God places mountains and valleys and rivers and the rain that falls and when it falls, God also commands the world of men and of women He directs the affairs of all nations. He directs the footsteps of all men. He determines the limitations and potentialities of every person. 
For while this gives us confidence and joy, it certainly does make us wonder about evil. If God in providence rules all things, how is it that he, well, to put it in in words I've already used, how is it that he sustains evil at all times, or, or does he? Let me see what the Bible says about this matter. I'm going to quote a a great many verses now in short order, and and when you hear them, I suspect that a great many of you are going to be shocked by what the Bible actually says. I mean, what the Bible actually says about this matter will shatter some of your pat answers, so be prepared to be shocked. So let's start with Genesis 50, verse 20. After Joseph has been reconciled with his brothers, he says to them, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And that's to say, when his brother sold Joseph into slavery, the act of enslaving him, well, that was an evil act. And yet, says Joseph, God intended that this act should go forward. He refused to step in because even though the brothers had intentions in this act, God also intended this act. God intended that Joseph should be sold into slavery, but intent is everything. God intended this cruel act for the saving of many lives. Well, let's go on. Exodus 4, verse 21, we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh determined not to release Israel from slavery. See, the Bible's not squeamish about that claim. God so moved the heart of Pharaoh so that the wicked act of enslaving Israel would continue. Well, let's move on to the book of Joshua. Look at Joshua 11, verse 20. It says, For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy. (laughs) Yes, the reason why so many of the nations in Canaan were destroyed was because in providence, God so ruled the hearts of these people to act in ways that would reduce them to destruction. Now, let's move forward to the book of Judges. In chapter 3, verse 12, we're told that the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Now, this was intended to punish Israel for her idolatry, but please see that it was God who strengthened this evil Moabite king. Go ahead to Judges 14, verse 4, during the time of Samson. In context, Samson was about to get a Philistine woman either to marry her or for her to be his concubine, and notice that it was against God's law for him to do this. And yet, what do we make of this unrighteous behavior in which Samson is clearly motivated by unrighteous lust for a gorgeous Philistine woman? Well, chapter 14, verse 4 tells us, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Translation, Samson's illegal marriage was from God, for he wanted to use that incident to cause harm to the Philistines. Let's keep on going. I'm now in 1 Samuel 2, verse 25. The passage is talking about the sons of Eli the priest who are known for their wicked behavior all over Israel. Verse 25 says, But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. In other words, the reason these young men were so hardened so that they discounted everything that Eli said is because God had already determined that these boys would die. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, where we are told that an evil spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. Or 2 Samuel 12, in which David is told that God will punish him for his sin, the sin of murdering Uriah and sleeping with his wife. Verse 11 says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. 
and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. You know, at first, we're shocked by those words. How can God say, I will raise up evil in your house? I mean, for many of us, it's the devil that does that. I mean, how can God do that? But here's a little lesson in which Bible students are sometimes confused. After David had sinned in doing a census of Israel against the will of God, the book of 1 Chronicles and the book of 2 Samuel seem to give us a contradictory account of it. Listen to it. First, 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. So, from the perspective of 2 Samuel, after Israel sinned, it was God who incited David into this illegal census. Now, contrast that, hang on here, but contrast that to a parallel account to 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1. It says, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. You see the difficulty? 2 Samuel says that it was God who did it, and 1 Chronicles says that it was Satan who did it. Well, who's right? Was it God or was it Satan who caused it? And the answer is, it was both. Many of you who listen to me know how I love to quote Martin Luther when he said, Satan is none other than the unwilling servant of God. He served God even while he hated God. He rebelled against God and yet fell into God's hands. Is it not possible then to say the same thing about evil in general? Evil seeks to resist God at every step, even while evil serves God at every step. But when I say that, doesn't that sound strange? That evil serves God? For if evil serves God, what then? Some wonder if that's true, doesn't it then follow that God must be the author of evil? But God is not the author of evil. 1 John 1 verse 5 says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And James 1.13 says that God is not tempted by evil, and he never tempts anyone. God is not the author of evil. God does not delight in wickedness. God never rejoices in that which is impure. And yet God rules over evil, for he rules all things. So much more is needed to be said. You know, there's certain sensitive topics some of us tend to avoid discussing, even with our loved ones. Money is definitely one of those. But since the Bible certainly does not shy away from discussing the matter of money, then neither should we. That's why we're so excited to share with you our newest resource called 10 Questions About Money Matters. It's a short booklet based on Dr. John's audio series, God and Money and it will help you address financial issues from a biblical perspective. We're confident this resource will provide financial guidance, helping us to become better stewards of the resources that God has graced us with. We're thrilled to offer you this booklet for free for the whole month of August. To request your copy or to offer a gift to support the ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I'm completely aware of the shock that is often felt in believers when, for the first time, they are brought to an awareness of what the Bible actually says about God's lordship over evil. 1 Kings 11 verse 14, 
the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. That is, that evil man was raised up by God. Job 1 verse 22, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. 1 Kings 22 verse 23, the Lord put a lying spirit in the mouth of the false prophets. I could go on and on, for the examples of this simply fill the pages of Scripture. The fact that many Christians have not been trained to pay attention to those very passages, what's well, a tragedy? And it's led many a Christian to misunderstand God's dealings in the world. But for our purposes, I want us to listen to two more passages of Scripture, and in this case, from two different Old Testament prophets. The first, Amos chapter 3, verse 6. It says, Is a trumpet blown in a city, and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Translation, just as a trumpet is blown and it signals the attack of an army, even so disaster befalling any human population signals that God is the author of that disaster. I know that so many of us rage against this. I've heard all manner of people say, look, God had nothing to do with this. And when they say that, uh, they should know that the Bible says the opposite. God is not embarrassed by the evil that's done in the world. Indeed, the God of heaven claims that even evil itself is not done outside of his moment-by-moment -moment providential hand. One more passage from the Old Testament prophets. This one from Isaiah 45, verse 7. It says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. You know, the word that's translated as calamity is the Hebrew word ra, which means evil. Now look, that word can be translated as calamity, that is, when an evil thing happens, as in a natural disaster, or a plague in a city, or the outbreak of crime, or a foreign army invading, but that's just the point. God says, I did it. I create calamity. It came from my hand. Make no mistake about it. I control this world. Now I can almost hear the questions that are now being asked. And even though I can't answer all of them, I can allow the Bible to answer the main one. I want now to take you to one of the great prayers that are prayed in the Bible. It was prayed in the early church after Peter and John were arrested and thrown into prison. And you can imagine the result. The two most prominent leaders of the early church were arrested. What if they were executed? What would then happen to the infant Christian movement? You can almost imagine the concern. And then in marvelous mercy, the two men are released. And so the early church did what all Christians have done ever since. They called a church-wide prayer and praise meeting. They needed to thank God for his mercy in securing the release of their two leaders. So what did they pray? Well, listen to the early church praying. It's recorded in Acts 4, 27 and 28. It says, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, listen now, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Don't you see what it is that gave the early church such strength and confidence? When Peter and John were arrested, they remembered how it was when their Lord and Savior was arrested. And then they remembered that Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews, all of them together, all of them had done this to Jesus. And then they said, they did all of that because you, Lord our God, had predestined that this should take place. And then they said, since you predestined the crucifixion of Jesus, well, we also remember that 
that because of that evil act, the most lovely thing ever has occurred. And it was allowed to happen. Jesus died for the sins of his people. A wide door was open, leading to the salvation of many. What was intended for evil by wicked men was intended for good by God. And from that paradigm came the confidence the early church needed in the light of the arrest of their leaders. They'd simply begun to believe that even evil itself was being used by God for greater and better purposes. Evil which is still evil and is not authored by God, and yet this evil that rages against God is being used by God for the greater good, the long-term good. And so faced with the arrest of Peter and John, the church remembered that lesson. Even evil itself is under God's providential hand. Let me try now to put all that together. Who is responsible when evil is done? Well, not God. He's never the author of evil. No, evildoers are responsible for their own evil. The crucifixion of Christ, although predestined, as Peter would say, before the foundations of the earth, yet still that was carried out by wicked men. Those wicked men will be held to account for they crucified the Lord of glory. That's, that's the most astonishing act of evil ever since the world was created. No human evil that is done, be it ethnic cleansing, the aborting of millions of unborn children, or, or the daily character assassination of untold lives, all of that combined doesn't even come close in comparison to the evil that was done when at the hands of wicked men the Son of God was nailed to a cross. But as the early church prayed, they said, this was predestined by God, and it was. And because such good came out of such evil, the early church took courage, and so should we. Listen now, you don't have to know how God will bring good out of every situation. Indeed, when horrible things happen, we shouldn't even begin to imagine how this will serve the good. I mean, I can't, for instance, imagine how good can come out of the present world refugee crisis or how it is that at some moment in your life or my life, which brought so much pain and suffering, in which someone did evil to us, how can that cause glory to God? And how can you and I know the answer to that? Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And this is a part of his mysterious purpose. Of course, I don't know how good can come out of every evil act. Also, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to end injustice, for we must do so. It's God's command. And when we're personally wronged, we should not think that when a crime is done to us that we shouldn't seek legal redress or justice. We should and must. According to Romans 13, verse 3, God has appointed rulers and government and laws to be a terror to bad conduct. There is and always must be a concern that we bring justice to victims of injustice. William Wilberforce, when campaigning against the, the practice of slavery in England, never said, well, you know, God rules over good and evil, so, you know, there's just a good purpose to all of this, so let slavery continue. No, he never said that. See, I shouldn't be surprised that when we finally see God's kingdom, that we will discover that God permitted evil to test what was in our hearts, whether or not we would make peace with evil or we would fight relentlessly against it. The presence of suffering in this world demands of every believer that we become the agents of righteousness, that wickedness will always be our enemy, and we will not ever come to make peace with evil. I'm continually amazed at how often believers are content not to fight against evil, 
does that not testify against us? But this I also know. God rules over both good and evil. I know that Lamentations 3 verse 38 is certainly true. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? And since even the bad days come from the mouth of God, I'm going to be at peace. For I know that even though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let me end with a little story. Somerset Moham is the English writer, and he once wrote a story about a, a janitor at St. Peter's Church in London. And one day, a young vicar discovered that the janitor was illiterate. He fired him. Jobless, the man invested his miserably small savings in a tiny tobacco shop where he prospered and he bought another shop and then he expanded it and he ended up with a chain of tobacco stores, which in that day was worth several hundred thousand dollars, a great deal of money. And one day the man's banker said, you've done quite well for an illiterate, but where would you be if you could read and write? Well, the man replied, I'd be the janitor at St. Peter's Church in Neville Square. <laughs> and he was right. And Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt, would have said something very similar. What if you'd never been sold into slavery? Well, then I would have been starving to death with my brothers in Canaan rather than rescuing a great population from death. Dear saint, can you say that? Rejoice even when the days of evil come, for God is the ruler yet, and his ways will win out. John, I have to admit, you, uh, you, you poured it on a little bit today, uh, uh, passage after passage after passage of things that uh, probably not too many of us think about, and maybe we're, maybe we're I, I guess that's the question, why don't we think about these things more? Yeah, I, I think it's been a while since uh, we've been, you know, taught these matters. I mean, we used to in the past, but I, I think it's become... I don't know whether or not we're embarrassed to teach these matters. I'm not. I think, you know, the scripture is overwhelmingly clear that God rules over evil. I think the problem that people have is that, you know, then they think, well, look, God must be the, the author of evil, but that's clearly not the case. So somewhere in our own minds, we have to say that God regulates evil even while he does not, uh, is not the author of evil. God hates evil, and yet, Evil itself cannot militate against his wider rule. So God himself rules over both good and evil. Thanks, John. We'll learn more as this series continues right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The Back to the Bible Canada blog page has recently seen some exciting changes. So in addition to Dr. John's blogs, we'll now be having regular monthly blog contributions from special ministry guests and friends of the ministry. So make sure to receive the Back to the Bible Canada Dr. John and Company blogs each week by signing up for our audio mail or download our Back to the Bible Canada app or just visit backtothebible.ca every week. Timely, interesting, biblical perspective sharing thoughts about faith, life, and culture with the Bible at the very center. To check out the Dr. John and Company blog page, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 for more information. And remember to ask for your free ministry resource, 10 Questions About Money Matters, during the month of August. <music> 